You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. I'm an advocate for women's rights in childbirth, founder of Birth Monopoly, co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, a national photography project on birth trauma, and former vice president of Improving Birth, the nation's largest consumer-based maternity care advocacy organization. You can learn more about my work at birthmonopoly.com. Today, I'm broadcasting from the home of a family in Lexington, Kentucky. Helen and Chris Nunn just had their third baby about two months ago. The baby was born at home with the assistance of professional midwives. Hi, thanks for, thanks for having us. You're welcome. Hi, Hi Helen. Hi. Or thanks for coming over. <laughs> no problem. So we're here with the baby, actually. He may make some noises, and that's okay. So tell me what made you um, interested in home birth. Um, this is our third baby, and our first two were born in Madison, Wisconsin, and we had really lovely hospital births. And when we got here, um, all we heard about were really awful stories about the hospital and about how you had to fight for the things that you wanted and about how people did all kinds of things without asking. And just it was just like nightmare after nightmare. And so we waited oh, a while. Right. Well, we have a mutual friend who had an interesting experience, I think, right here in Lexington. Mm-hmm. At the hospital where there was yeah. a lot of fighting during her birth. Yeah. So we wait, actually waited to get pregnant until we could figure out what we wanted to do and then decided that home birth was really our only option of we started with another midwife group that didn't it didn't work out for us at a hospital at a hospital Mm -hmm. and well I mean what kind of things were you looking for well we knew we wanted to do a water birth because that's what we'd had with the last two um and we knew we wanted to be able to go at our own pace you wanted to avoid you wanted to avoid interventions you wanted to not have them pushing narcotics or uh, you know, basically, I just wanted them to leave me alone <laughs> so that I could do what we had done in the past, which right. was Chris and I were able to do most of it by ourselves without, yeah, with your other two, help, with our other two. So that's kind of what we wanted. But I think the water birth for us was a big piece of it, and then not having to be able, not having to fight for what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had heard stories about how, oh, you can labor in the tub, but you have to get out when you actually deliver the child. Mm-hmm. And for Helen, for whatever reason, when she thought about having the baby having it in the water just made her feel soothed by that or calmed by that. And so it seemed like that was what her body wanted. And so the thought of having to get out of the tub and right. have it on a, you know, on a bed or whatever, on the floor or wherever, just seemed like it was, it was going to be very difficult. And I will say that for me, being in the tub with Helen made me feel like I was very involved and I wasn't that, you know, sort of television husband who was by her ear like, you know, saying, it's, you can do it, you can do it, but I was actually involved in the process. Yeah. Or in I, the hospital lounge smoking a cigar. Right. Waiting well, for the announcement. We're, yeah. I can always, I always marvel at the husbands who are like, oh, I don't want to be involved in that. It's like, I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to just let her go do her thing. It was something that we were doing together. So I felt very strongly about being involved in it. And so that, you know, being in the water was an important thing for me too. And I think I've heard that people have water births at the hospital anyway. They just don't get out. But I just didn't want... Like, against policy. Against policy, and somebody's asking them to get out, and they just choose not to, or they mm-hmm. get they wait long enough that they don't have time to get out. And I just didn't want that to even be in the back of my mind, because I wanted it to be 
whatever I was, I didn't want it to interrupt my process. Giving birth is hard enough as it is. I didn't want Mm -hmm. it to be, there to be any animosity with anybody. I just wanted it to go smooth. And I just didn't, I just didn't want any of that. And we were lucky in Madison, we didn't have that. It wasn't ever Yeah, what was it like there? It wasn't ideal. I mean, it was great, but it wasn't ideal. I mean, we still had nurses. I mean, there were nurses that worked with the midwives in Madison, but they still sort of gave you the side eye about like, oh, we don't want to do the gel in the eyes or whatever. I felt like they still, and you may not have been aware of it, but I still felt like the nurses that were, like the midwives got it and they knew what what our plan was because we had discussed it beforehand. But I felt like the, the other folks, the sort of supporting staff was always a little bit like, oh, it's one of these births, you know? Like, oh, these people who want to be risky about their birth or, you know, I, I feel like a lot of it comes down yeah. to um, OBs and folks in the, you know, formal childbirth forum feel like this is just reckless or it's risky unnecessarily. Right. That's why we have modern medicine is because you don't have to feel all that pain or you don't have to, um, you know, worry about having the cord wrapped or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've learned, you know, Helen's really been the one who's led us through this process because she does so much research about, you know, all the different best practices, all the different, um, you know, what we were talking about horror stories and hearing what to watch out for. And through all of that, I've really become very confident in knowing that the human body knows how to do this. And it's just a matter of trusting it to and not, not saying, Oh, we know better. We know that, you know, we can, we can make this better. I mean, C-sections, I've never seen one, but they sound horrific. I mean, they sound like taking someone's internal organs out to take a baby out of your belly. Sounds very intrusive. And we've had friends who've had C-sections, and you watch them try and come back from that. And they're, you mm-hmm. know, six, eight weeks later, they're still yeah. in a lot of pain from that. So Well, it's major surgery, you know? Right. And sometimes you need that. It you need that place. to save, yeah, you need to, like, save lives. Yeah. But we all know that we do a lot of C-sections in this country and especially in this state that are not to save lives, right. but they're for, for other reasons. Right. And then sometimes the women aren't even aware yeah. of, you know, right. how they got there. I mean, we've heard stories about, you know, nurses or OBs pushing it along because, hey, I got to get going. I'm about to, my shift's about to end, so let's have this baby already. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of adverse effects that come with that in terms of you know, the recovery time in terms of the mother's health, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, and especially the psychological experience of feeling like you are trying to meet somebody else's expectations as opposed to your own. So I, you know, when Helen said she wanted to do a home birth, I was like, great. I I was really all for it, but I don't think I ever pushed you to do it. No, and I just, I want to go back to the Madison thing. I think one of the things that I tell people about Madison is that I feel like the things that we often have to fight for here in Lexington, or in Lexington or in that I've heard people fighting for are more standard of care there. Right. Yeah. Um, and and maybe the nurses look at you sideways, but nobody's fighting with you and nobody's saying you can't do this or I'm going to call social services if you don't do this particular thing. Um, and so I think it's there are people pushing for women being allowed to birth the way they want to birth. We were only the second water birth in Madison when it happened, but there was a water birth tub that was an option that was made specifically for that. And mm-hmm. so it was big enough for Chris and I both to be in. And and I think that that's what we were looking for here. 
I would have considered a hospital birth if I felt like that has, was what was going to happen at the hospital. But I just, I hadn't heard right. that many stories about there being... Or there might be one tub in the hospital. And, like, if you get it, you get it. But if right. someone else is using it, then you're just not going to have right. a water birth. Right. Which can be really, um, really disruptive to how you plan on giving birth because... Right. The only, you know, the, the second best option to a water birth would be an epidural, which is a completely different, right? like, a whole a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that we were lucky that nobody ever even asked me. I pushed for over three hours with my first, and nobody ever asked if I wanted pain medication. They stuck to what I wanted originally, which was to have a birth without um, medication, and and here, I just, I've heard, I mean, again, right, I hear so many stories, I read so many stories about them saying, it's easier if you just take the, do something, get an epidural, take some medicine, do some, like, people pushing it, and that's the last thing you need when you're trying to follow a certain path, is people tempting you with something else, because it's really hard, and it's painful, and well, it it's like sucks. if you're, if you're, like, running a marathon, and you're, like, really close to the end, and right. you're working hard, and you're like, can I do this, can I do this, to have somebody come in and just be like... You know what? No, you know what? I've got a I've got a car. Just hop in. Yeah, right. You don't need to so do this. Good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. When you really want to finish that race. Right. And it's probably safest for you to finish that race on your feet. Right. Yeah. Helen only started asking for the drugs after it was too late to administer them. <laughs> she was, yeah. you know, I remember she was like, just yeah, get in there like, sorry. Too late. It's too late. Which is good. Yeah. That was what I wanted. Well, it's probably, I mean, everybody says once you get to the point of like I can't do this anymore. That means it's almost over. Yes. Like you're you're probably in transition, right? And that means you're the baby's ready to come out. Yes, which is thank God for that, right? Right, and that's exactly how this last the third birth was. Is that everybody was like, didn't think I was in active labor, and then all of a sudden I was like, I can't do this anymore. And he was born 15 minutes later mm-hmm. because I I do really well until transition, and then I am not that pleasant until the baby comes up. <laughs> and that was how it was this exactly this time. Yeah. Um, but it was nice because we were at home and it was easier and we didn't have to drive anywhere. The last two, I went through transition in the car on oh, the way to wow. the hospital. Yeah. Which was really, really hard. It was really fun because she kept saying, don't hit any bumps. And, you know, <laughs> you're driving over city streets that have potholes. And so you're, um, I think with the, with the first one, it was you were, that one was more extreme, I feel like, because you were, I don't know, it was just, I was so stressed out about getting there, and you didn't know, you don't know how it's going to play out, and so he ended up being born like seven hours later, whereas with the second one, it was much quicker. We were like, oh, we got this, and it wasn't as big a rush, and we got to the hospital, and they were like, he's ready, you're ready, you know, so we were like, we were close to like not making it, maybe. Wow. And I think that's one of, for, we talked about this a lot after Hollis was born, that this was the, a huge benefit of being home, is that we didn't have to plan for any of that. We didn't have to worry about getting, like, when do we go? I don't want to go too soon because I don't want to get kicked out, or I don't want mm-hmm. them to rush me. And timing it, we didn't have to do, I mean, our midwife was here all day with us. Yeah. 
but not rushing us in any way to yeah. be done at a certain I time. I think that that whole like rush to the hospital is such a normal part of our American culture. Absolutely. You know, like yes. it's like, <gasps> you know, in every movie you see, it's like the woman mm-hmm. has the, oh my God, the baby's coming. Right. And everybody freaks. And it's like, you know, I, like there's no concept of like how labor actually happens, which is actually pretty mild and then builds over right, hours right. and whatever. And then it's like the, we've got to get her to the hospital right now before something happens. Yeah. Right. Which might just be a baby coming out of her body. Right. But yeah. And and this is the same with the water breaking, right? The images on that we are given our entire life about your water breaking is this, this like, huge thing. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not. And all three times with me, I've been like, did, did my water break? I'm not really actually sure. This was sure actually the time you were most sure. Right, but it was my third. I've had, this is my third experience. I, I know. kind of knew what to... But, like, you know, she woke up and she's like, I think my water broke. (laughs) And I was like, okay. You know, like, it wasn't this, like, oh, God. You know, it was just, all right, so it's happening today. And you start sort of filing in your brain, like, all right, here's what today's going to look like. And it's going to be different than yesterday because. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) The interesting thing for me was that, and maybe it's just laziness, but the whole notion of being able to stay at home and not have to go anywhere not have to eat hospital food, not have to tell people what room you're in to have them come visit, not have to worry about the nurse waking you up every two hours to do checks in the middle of the oh, night. I mean, those God. were the, for oh, I remember sleeping that. on the... Mm-hmm. It's like torture. Yeah, that it is so like bad. torture. After you've spent hours doing yeah. all this physical work, mm-hmm. you finally get to sleep and somebody comes in and turns on the light. Right. Yeah. And then they do it again and wake you up two and hours later. Right. Mess with you. Yeah. Well, and even like, it's... even with our boys, we declined to have them bathed right when they were born mm-hmm. for reasons that, you know, Helen has taught me are very valid. For science based reasons. For science based reasons, for, like, not for like crazy hippie reasons. <laughs> right. True. So then they labeled him biohazard. And they labeled ev- the baby biohazard? Yeah, like yeah. a biohazard <laughs> sticker on his bassinet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I. You know, so then you're like, okay, this is a totally natural thing, and you're labeling our child biohazard because he hasn't been sterilized, but yet that sterilization has a lot of adverse effects on their health moving forward. So it's such an interesting thing to think about the stigmas that come with some of these choices, but then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, really, I feel like this is a much better choice than, you know... It's funny because you know that baby's cleaner than anything in the hospital. Of course. I know. And and in order to keep them safe, not washing them keeps their protective coating so that they don't get whatever dirtiness is in the hospital. It's really yeah. a fascinating thing that they're like, yeah. let's clean all that off. But yeah. it's, that's part of what they need in their bodies. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's take a break for just a second. We'll be right back with Birth Aloud. Welcome back to Birth Aloud. I'm here with Chris and Helen Nunn. We're talking about the home birth of their third baby just a couple of months ago. So tell me about the birth story. Give me the details. Well, um, I mean, similar to what you see in movies, but much less dramatic, Helen woke up in the middle of the night and said, she got up and went to the bathroom and came back, and she said, "I, I think my water broke. And I remember thinking... One part of it was like, okay, you start mapping out what your day is going to look like because when you have a wife that's nine months pregnant, every day could be the day. But when it's not, you're like, all right, I'm going to work. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So you kind of shift gears mentally to say, 
All right, so this is this is the start of everything that we've planned on. So we had talked a lot about what our plan was, and we had done trial runs of setting up the tub and making sure we could fill it and having all the materials we needed, knowing what where the boys were going to go for childcare. So all of that stuff was preparation for this, and then you, it's sort of like you know practice versus game time. It's like all right, now this is actually happening. Um, so then we, I just sort of dropped into, all right, here are the things I need to do right. as the sort of supporting actor to make all this happen. Um, so, Helen, from your perspective... It's like your plan just kicked in at that point. Yeah, except for that it's... I mean, we've had... I'd already had two previous experiences, right? So my first was about a 13-hour labor, pretty slow progression. My second was super fast. It was from my first contraction to him being born was less than four hours. And so, we, yeah, which right, two very different experiences. And there's no way to know what you're gonna, what's going to happen. So when I woke mm-hmm. up and my water broke, I was kind of like, oh, are we gonna, is this going to be a really fast process? Or is this going to be a really long process? Um, I wasn't you, having any contraction. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I guess we've got some time. Um, I texted my midwives to let them know it hap- like that I thought that my membranes, that membranes had ruptured and that just so that they would know if they needed to rearrange things. And then I actually, everybody slept and Wait, I wait, wait, wait. Watched. Who did you text right after your... I texted my sister because my sister was traveling from Nashville and I wanted to make sure that she had plenty of time to get here. So my sister and my sister-in-law both were coming from Nashville and that one of my anxieties about the birth this particular time was it not being so short that they couldn't make it. Gotcha. So, so in her mind, yeah, she, like was like, she was drive. like, she was like, right? She so, was yeah. mentally trying to like, okay, I'm gonna like resist the urge to let this progress so that I know that everybody's like, and you had talked about how awful it would be to have the baby in the middle of the night because of how that would have impacted our boys, and so I feel very strongly that her brain really sort of said was, you knew that having the baby during the day when they were at school was ideal, you knew that giving your sister and sister-in-law time to get here was ideal. So I, I, you know. We also did our trial run the night before. Yeah. I went into labor, which was, the timing was really great. I, I had like, a couple things that worked to wrap up. Yeah. Um, I was like, I should probably figure out what this tub looks like. And I inflated mm-hmm. it all and, and put it back away. And that was, you know. That well, you know, there's something to be said for that, what you, that whole idea that you just mentioned about, like, you, um, your um, your thoughts and your feelings having an impact on the timing mm-hmm. of the birth. We know that um, certain things can stop or stall a labor. Absolutely. Like, that Anxiety. is that is a given. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So then I was able to... Actually, I laid in bed and watched Netflix and <laughs> texted my sister until it was time to get the boys up. I wanted them to sleep as long as possible. Um, and then we got our kids ready, took the boys to school. I don't know how the boys got to school. <laughs> I took them. Chris took the boys to school. Yeah. Um, Thanks for that. Yeah, that was good. I mean, they don't, it's only four blocks, so I mean, that's <laughs> another. Um, and then we actually had a really slow morning. We went for a walk. We went and got some coffee. We just kind of wandered around the neighborhood. Um, I we was o- nervous. We always, we always talk about there's this old man that sits on his front porch um, just down the street from us. Mm-hmm. And we always... And this is in the North Limestone neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, and so we... In Lexington. We've been reflecting on what that looked like for him as he was sitting on his front porch smoking cigarettes to have a pregnant woman walk by and then a pregnant woman in a little bit more visual distress walk by and then more distress and then 
like the next day walk by with a baby. Have him, <laughs> right. Have him think, I wonder if he ever even put it together that, oh. It's the same person. Right. Or like, <laughs> or like that happened mm-hmm. that while I was sitting there. You know? Right, right. So. Um, I think that I, even knowing that I had super supportive midwives, had a little bit of anxiety about um, my labor not being fast enough. And so when my water broke and I didn't have immediate contractions, I did have anxiety about, are they going to let me go as long as my body needs to go? So you were nervous that they would say at some point, your labor's taking too long, we think you need to go to a hospital? Yes, or we think we need to do some sort of intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that is so common in the stories I hear, Um, especially if your water breaks and your contractions don't start immediately, that that people get really antsy about the timing and the number of hours you have. And... Yeah. And so I was nervous. So I, so, so just for, for people listening, mm-hmm. um, you'll hear a lot of concern about the risk of infection if the water has broken and contractions like labor hasn't actually started. Right. And um, Rebecca Decker of Evidence-Based Birth, which is actually based out of Lexington, Kentucky, totally by coincidence, as are we, she is a, um, she's a researcher and she did she did a research analysis on all that. And I think like the most interesting thing that she got out of that was the risk of infection was actually due to multiple vaginal exams. Yes. So it wasn't necessarily the, the birth process itself. It was that people get so antsy that they're checking the woman's cervix once an hour or more often than that. Right. Right. And actually introducing the infection to the woman's body. So one of the things I did that morning while I was waiting for my contractions to get going is I laid in bed and read up on how long you can go without having to do an intervention if your contractions haven't started. And that was a lot of the research I was reading is that it's actually your body is flushing the bacteria out. And so as long as nobody else is putting bacteria into you, then it's not unsafe to let yourself go as long as you need to go and let your body do its thing. But when you go into a hospital and they start checking you to make sure that everything mm-hmm. is okay, that's when the bacteria is introduced and that's when yeah. the infection risk And some hospitals will have a policy of, you know, the baby's got to be born within 24 hours. That's some the of them, one, yeah. it's 12 hours. Yeah. So it just kind of depends on the facility that you go to. You've got to have the baby within 12 to 24 hours. Yes. And if not, then you're going to have like a really aggressive intervention. Right. And a lot of times I think if you haven't, if your body isn't doing enough by 12 hours and they will give you till 24, they start intervening at 12 hours to make sure you get to that 24 hour point. Um, And I have several friends of mine who that's happened to. And every time it's ended in a C-section because their bodies just weren't quite ready yet and they needed more time and the intervention started coming too fast and they, they just yeah. couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah. So Helen was talking about the cadence of the, um, of the birth and, you know, having to feel like you have to meet certain timelines or deadlines. And while you were saying that, I was thinking, I was kind of laughing to myself because our midwife actually took a nap on our couch while... Yeah, she, she was did. here. She, you know, she just, she was like, well, you're not progressing. We all had lunch, you know, and she just. It wasn't that I wasn't progressing because I've actually <clears> talked, <throat> sorry, I've sorry. talked through this with all the people who were present at the birth. So it ended up that we went, Chris and I got to go for walks and then my sister and my sister-in-law arrived and then our cousin also was here um, to be with us. And when everybody arrived, it was a really calm and quiet. I was, I don't even know. I was like laying on the couch, hanging out and we got lunch and we all kind of sat together and ate lunch. And then, but 
we've all kind of talked about it since then. And one of the things that I said was it wasn't progressing. And they've all corrected me and said, no, it was progressing. It was just progressing at a really steady pace. And so it never felt like it was an emergency or that it was rapid or dramatic. It just progressed. Mm -hmm. And so it really felt slow and quiet until the last 15 minutes. And then it, then it was a little crazy because that part's so hard. I'm not going to let you say that. I mean, <laughs> so after after they got here and we had they went and got lunch from a place nearby and we all sat around and had a great had a great lunch and then we put put our relatives to work sorting and washing baby clothes. <laughs> we did. My sister-in-law did 15 loads of laundry or something <laughs> while the, wow. in the two days all they the were diapers, here. All the diapers, all the yeah, all, all the, the baby clothes, all that stuff. And so we That's actually... That's really how it should be. Right, <laughs> That's fantastic. That, right? To have a group of women around you, or men or whoever, a group of people around you who are supporting it to make it so that all you have to focus on is what the baby needs. Making it easiest and safest for the mother. And yeah. right, and then it also allowed Chris to be completely present for me every time I needed him. Yeah. He wasn't having to worry about filling my water cup or doing any of those things. I had a team of people who were doing that, but also were only doing things that I wanted them to be doing. Yeah. They weren't doing things that were, like if something was annoying me, they I could say, that's annoying me, stop doing that. Yeah. We had, we Nothing had, they did was annoying. But We had prepped them to say like, here's, if you're going to be there, we need you to be on call basically. If she needs something, if I need help with something, you know, and they were like, yeah, great, you know. And they were all so excited to be present. You know, none of them had ever been at any births other than their own. Mm-hmm. And so, all right. Margot, I wanted to also go back to the eating thing because I think that this is very common um, when you go into a hospital. Our when our midwife got here, um, she was pretty adamant that I eat to make sure that I had enough energy to get through the birth. And oftentimes, when you go into a hospital, this has not been our experience, but from what I have heard and read, they discourage you from eating because they want to make sure your stomach is empty just in case and. What that does is then completely depletes you so that mm-hmm. what little energy you could have had to keep going, yeah. you don't have. I, I don't, don't know how many women I've talked to who have said, like, I was begging for something, like yeah. anything. You know, you've been in labor for chips. 12 hours or <laughs> right, something. Right, right. Yeah. And she Trouble. was a little bit picky about what I ate. She wanted to make sure that I was eating protein. And there were certain foods that she didn't want me to eat just because she said, in her experience, those are foods that tend to not settle well. So mm-hmm. she had suggestions mm-hmm. of things. Um, well, just as an aside, something that I think is really interesting about, well, interesting actually is not an honest term. Frustrating for me Mm -hmm. is that, um, in the research that's been done about eating and drinking and labor, what, what everybody's looking for is the risk of aspiration. Right. The research is like pretty unequivocal. The odds of that happening today, now, the odds of it happening are are like infinitesimal, like right. like the odds of being struck by lightning or something. So those those odds are so very low, and so we see the research moving in that direction of like, hey, hospitals, it's okay, it's For okay, t- it's okay. But you know what? Nobody nobody really looks at is what are the risks of restricting women from yeah. food and and whatever whatever right. sustenance they want during labor. What what effect does that have on people in a bad way? Not just like, is it safe for them to do so? Like, are they going to aspirate? Mm-hmm. But what happens if we literally aren't allowing people to do that? How are you negatively affecting right. them? And, that, and it's still the prevailing theory is that you can't eat. So I would say the majority of people I know 
are told that when they get there unless they have talked to their provider. Well, yeah, and, and national guidelines have certainly changed, mm-hmm. but they just haven't been implemented for the most part. Well, and I think that, that just goes back to a broader point that really guided our decision, which was being led by the possibilities of how it could be good as opposed to making risk-averse decisions, making, making decisions based on what all could go wrong. Making like elim- like attempting to eliminate all risk versus looking at a more balanced picture of right. what are risks and benefits, and then what are risks and benefits of the options as well. Because mm-hmm. right. that's really the only way you can make a right a good decision. Right. So th- I want to get back to so Helen said there was only well, before got- you do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's take a quick break. Okay. We'll be right back with Birth Aloud. You're listening to WLXU ninety three point nine LP FM Lexington. Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. And we're back. Helen is now feeding her baby. <laughs> this happened over the break. <laughs> so um, so we were talking a little bit about um, the eating and drinking, um, which is generally discouraged in hospitals, generally. Mm-hmm. Not always. Policies vary. And how your midwife wanted to make sure in your home birth that you actually had eaten like fairly early on and we're getting the right types of foods mm-hmm. like energy energy giving foods right lots of protein yeah. yeah that's what they really wanted yeah yeah and i guess after that you know after we all ate it was a really nice kind of quiet time where um our our family kind of went and did the tasks that we gave them and helen and i Went for another walk. We actually walked around, um, around the block, and you said, "I, you know, it." I think you were progressing more, where you said it's getting harder to sort of just talk through or, or walk through the the contractions. Right. And so, that became a signal that you know, instead of taking a walk where we were five or six blocks from home, now we were sort of circling closer and closer to to our house, and. <laughs> And then that progressed to just walking around the backyard. And that was where I was going to disagree with you about when it actually got hard. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, we were walking around the backyard and she actually had to lean on me through the contractions um, in order to, you know, you were standing up. But, you know, it was basically like, you know, a, a, a prolonged hug. Yeah, and I think that's when we sort of started having the conversation about should we fill the, the tub to get ready. Yeah. So describe the tub because I think a lot of people will assume you're just talking about your bathtub. So it's a it's a inflatable tub. It is uh, about sixty inches in diameter, so about five feet across. The water level, I think, the minimum water level was about two feet, mm-hmm. and so I think it works out to be a, a few hundred gallons of water. And where did you get it? We our midwife let us borrow the tub, and we had to buy the liner. So basically you have a plastic piece of plastic that goes over the tub so that when you're done, you drain it and you just throw the liner away. Um, that was, you know, we filled it right from our kitchen. The tub was actually in our dining room, so we had moved all the furniture out of there and put the tub right in the center. We ran a hose from the, from the sink to fill the tub with hot water. And that was, you know, when Helen's contractions got to where she couldn't really talk through them anymore. Then our midwife said, you know, you probably should fill the tub. And so we we did that. Um, and it took a while to fill it. It took about a half hour to fill the tub. And 
I think by the time it was full, you were pretty ready to get in. Yes, I think so. Um, and then it went pretty fast after that. Yeah. Um, we, I got in the tub and was in the tub by myself for a little bit, and then things were getting harder and harder, and so Chris got in the tub with me, um, which is, had been our experience previously, is that having him in the tub with me really helps and gives us our own Wearing space. what? I had a swimsuit on. Okay. Yeah, he had a swimsuit on. And I had, I this time did wear a bra because I was having pictures taken and I wanted to show them to people. Um, and, and so then that, I was only in the tub for about 20 minutes. We did, um, I had lots of contractions and then I only pushed maybe two or three times. So in this time, were they checking your cervix to see how dilated you were? No, I didn't have a, I didn't, I never had a cervical check. She asked when she first got here and I didn't want it. And then I don't even know that she asked again. She did, um, she was doing the, the Doppler, is that what it's called? Yeah. The, to check his heart during contractions. Um, but it was a portable one and it was only in whatever position I was in. I never had to move in order to accommodate her. Right. Um, like in contrast to a lot of hospital births where you right. kind of have to get on your back in a bed and stay still, you know, right. while they... Yes, yeah. exactly. But she was checking the whole time. I mean, I think she checked every 30 minutes or so. I don't remember. But it didn't mm -hmm. feel invasive. Um, to me. And I think she was checking more when we were in the water. She was, Um, yeah. as it was getting further along, she was checking more to make sure. And mm -hmm. then, um, she was right there. Our midwife was there, right next to the tub, but not necessarily helping or intervening in any way, except for that when I was pushing, the first push I did, she was not comfortable with the position I was in because the baby was not, I, my body was too high out of the water, in order for the baby to be born safely in the water. And mm -hmm. so I just remember at one point she said, if you want to stay in the water, you have to move your body and get further into the water so that the baby is born actually into the water and not halfway out. Yeah. Um, and then she helped me move to get into a better position. Yeah. Which was what? Can you describe it? You were I think I was squatting. squatting. <laughs> I don't really remember. Um, but I think I was squatting. I think I was kneeling originally and... For whatever reason, my body was too high, mm -hmm. and then she helped. So I think it, he was born in a squatting position. Yeah. Um, which all three have been born that way. So clearly, that's the way that my body wants to give birth is in that squatting position. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Chris, where were you? I was doing that. I was in the tub with her. Um, I actually caught caught Hollis when he came out. Um, and so I, were you behind her then? No, I was. We were face to face. You were oh, okay. you weren't on all fours. She was just uh, squatting like you know, like a catcher in baseball. Okay, gotcha. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, the, I mean, our midwife watched the whole thing to make sure. I at one point said that he was stuck, which he was not stuck. I was just tired of pushing and really wanted him to be out of me. Yeah. Um, when she can feel the head, I'm always afraid <laughs> she's going to palm the head like a basketball and just pull him out. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a pretty soft head. You're just going to want to be gentle with him, you know. I like to be able to come out at that point. Yeah, she's done. Um, but I think that was really the only time our midwife had to... She checked to see if he was actually stuck, which he was not. No. Um, but other than that, Chris and I were able to do most of it. Yeah. Like, I got, you know, and then he, he came out. They did immediate skin-to-skin -skin with Helen. Um, we delayed the cord clamping until it all... Until the placenta stopped pulsing. So all these things that Helen had sort of educated me on and that we had agreed we were going to do was just, 
you know, the midwife was like, yeah, obviously this, you would do it this way. So, and I also, um, tried to deliver the placenta really quickly right after. And my midwife kept saying, just wait, just wait. Your body will, will tell you when it's time. And I was trying to push and push. And she was like, I don't think you're having contractions yet. I think you just have to wait until your body contracts and then it will come out. So she was actually trying to slow me down a little bit. Um, To make sure I was listening to my body instead of just being like, I want to get this out and be done with yes. this. Um, yeah. Which was nice. And then and then we got out of the water pretty quickly after. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't remember. But, you know, I think that for me, one of the things that is so interesting is that, you know, people think that childbirth is gross or there's a lot of, like, you know, there's a lot of fluids. There's a lot of stuff. But for me, that stuff is much more, you know, obviously it's natural. So... You know, the not having to wash him right away or not having to, you know, I, th- I think a lot of that stuff is just, if you can accept that that is the way it is as opposed to having this preconceived notion about how you think it should be. Like sterilized. Sterilized or, you know, I think Helen always had a lot of anxiety about being vocal. Mm-hmm. You know, during during pushes or during labor, she always felt like it was a modesty thing. You know, mm-hmm. being raised in the South, I think, she, you know, she clearly had a lot of a lot of um training in how to be polite and i think a lot of what was liberating about being at home was she knew she wasn't disturbing anybody we've heard stories of doctors coming into a room when someone's pushing and saying can you keep it down you're making the nurses nervous or you're making the person next door nervous and it's like you don't want to have to change what you're doing out of courtesy because you want to believe that what your body is doing is what it needs to do. And so. really, you don't want to think about anything other than what you're actually doing. It's hard. Yeah. It's, you need to just be focused on what you're doing and not have these peripheral things around you that are influencing. Right. Like, whatever you need to give birth is you what you to need it. to have. Right. So I have a really good friend who is a doula and very well researched on birthing. And she tried to have a water birth and di- her body did not want to have a water birth and she ended up birthing on her back but what she said was that that was what her what felt best for her and I feel like that's what it should come down to more than anything is whatever the woman feels like is right for her is what should be happening right and as long as is generally the safest absolute right exactly is generally it's not right and like I you know we were chatting about this before a little bit about how um People, I think sometimes people like interpret women's preferences in birth as like, as like these, these wishes or like these sort of selfish, you know, um, superficial Mm -hmm. things when really what we are talking about is important safety decisions that people, that women are making while they're giving birth. Instinctually. Listening to what their body Mm -hmm. is telling them because for the most part, your body actually already knows how to give birth, whether your brain realizes that or right. not. And of course, some people sometimes need some help in, you know, in one way or another. But for the most part, um, bodies know how to give birth. Yeah. Right. And, if, and we're so lucky to live in a country where we can get that help if we need it. But I think that if we should also be able to do it the way our bodies want to do it and not have to get help if we don't need it. Mm-hmm. And I think people also interpret specifically birth plans have this sort of negative connotation now because people think that a birth plan means that above all else you want to do it a certain way and that you're right. going to ignore 
actual risk and still want to have a certain type of birth, even though it, your body needs something different. But really what it just means is assuming nothing goes wrong, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Not I'm going to do it this way even if something is wrong. Well, and you know what? What I think is important to know or to understand about birth plans too is like an actual birth plan would be like I, Helen, have decided that I'm going to dilate at one centimeter an hour and I am going to want to be squatting when I give birth and I'm going to give birth in three pushes. Mm -hmm. Like that is a plan for birth. Right. When we're talking about the birth plan that people know and recognize as a birth plan, most of the time what we're really talking about is a medical care plan. Mm -hmm. It has to do more with your expectations of the people around you than like this is how I my body is planning on giving birth so I feel like birth plans sometimes get a bad rap because like you said it's sort of it's seen as um as like this almost like bullheaded I'm gonna give birth this way no no matter matter the risk right yeah no matter the safety no matter the risk and there no mother no mother thinks like that I mean that's just yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, Actually, we all want healthy babies, right? We, that's what we want is to birth a healthy baby. Yeah. And and you're not going to make decisions that aren't going to allow you to do that. You're going to change your mind when it... Well, wasn't that the whole risky. point of having a home birth? Yes. Is yeah. to have a healthy baby? Yes. Yes. It was. Yeah. Even though there were times when it was maybe scary to think about what could happen, we had plans in place for that so that it wasn't just... Yeah. We weren't giving birth out in the woods, where there's no support and no help, which I think is what some people assume that like you're, we're like in our backyard having a baby with no help, but we didn't, we had the support team that we needed and plans in place in case things got to a point where we needed a hospital intervention. Um, we didn't, and I was not a high risk person, so I was able to choose that. We're going to take a break really quickly and then we'll come back and talk about that. Welcome back to Birth Aloud. I'm here with Helen and Chris Nunn of Lexington, Kentucky, and we're talking about the home birth of their baby just a couple of months ago. Before we went to the break, we were we started to touch on the um, sort of like the safe. The we were talking about birth plans and safety, and what kind of plans are in place if there is some sort of emergency, because we're not talking again about a woman going out into the woods with no one and popping out a baby. We're talking about um, a planned event with professionals, with contingency plans in place. There's There's two month old baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, so, and, and wait, I'm sorry. That's Let me interrupt you really quickly. So so we are in Kentucky where it is actually not legal for a family to hire a certified professional midwife whose area of expertise is out-of-hospital births. And um, a bunch of families have been fighting for years now to have those midwives legalized and licensed by the state of Kentucky. That is an ongoing, um, an ongoing fight. And so right now, what we have is this situation where um, if a family wants to have a home birth with a professional midwife, it's not as simple as going online and like Googling um, Kentucky certified professional midwives um, because those midwives are essentially risking um, prosecution by, by doing what they do. So uh, 
anyway, just with that background. So can you tell us a little bit about how you found your midwife sure. and what that was like? So we started with a hospital midwife group that was not a good match for us. And at about, um, I don't know, it was about 12 weeks when I started doing a little bit more research. I'd had a couple friends who had had um, home births here in Lexington. And so I started with their midwives that they had used, um, both of which were one was having a baby and one was full. Um, the midwives. The midwives. And then, but then I'm part of some Facebook groups um, that are geared towards mothering. And I went on that, um, my one that is particularly more for um, women who are trying to make alternative choices for their children. And one came particularly highly recommended. And so that's where we started. Well, and, and we should also note that midwives don't work alone. Right. Um, because obviously if you can't plan, you can't plan births, mm-hmm. spontaneous births. So if a baby were to come and a midwife were unavailable, then she always has a backup midwife. Right. And they act in teams of two anyway, um, because you have to have, you have to have at least two professionals in a home birth. Yes. And that actually, that's funny that bring that up. My dad, one of my dad's big concerns was, doesn't there need to be two people there, one to take care of you and one to take care of the baby? And mm-hmm. that was how it happened for us. They both took care of both of us, but there were mm-hmm. two people there to help with whatever we needed. Um, two professionals. Two professionals, yes. Um, I went to most of my midwife appointments this particular pregnancy by myself um, just because it's our third and that was kind of the way it worked out. And so we did, I spent almost every time I went, I had some question about what if this happens? What's the plan for this? And from everything from he was breached for a while and questions about, you know, will you deliver him at home if he's breached or what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, or how safe is that? Yeah. What are the options? Yes. Yeah. What what do we do beforehand? What do we do if we are actually in the in labor? Um, so those kinds of questions. Then I also um, am one of the unlucky people that has HG during my pregnancy, so I was taking medication that has a higher risk for... This is particularly for cleft palate. And so I asked a lot of questions about that. What if something is wrong when the baby comes out that we can't see So HG yet? is um, basically like not like overwhelming yeah. nausea, right? Yes. That's a mild like, way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, debilitating? Is debilitating, that a better absolutely, word? Absolutely. Like debilitating nausea and inability to keep food down, basically. Yeah, and no appetite. Without some sort of medical support. So I was taking actually several medications one of which has a higher risk of your baby having a cleft palate. Um, so I had a lot of questions about that. Like, if the baby's born at home and this happens, mm-hmm. what do we do? When do we go? But then we also talked about if we were to do a transfer, where would we go? Um, which hospital would we go to? Mm-hmm. How would that work? How would we get there? Would we call an ambulance? Would we drive? So so what would you do if you if the midwife felt like it was time to transfer to the hospital or if you felt like for whatever reason you needed a transfer to a hospital we it I guess it's kind of situational but we talked about different options in terms of how far along I was in my labor when we made the decision um whether it would be faster to wait for an ambulance we live in a the location we live in there is a fire station just two blocks from our house so it would be a quick response time for them to get to us and we also live within a very short distance of several hospitals, um, which I think made us feel better in case we needed it, that it was there, um, that the transfers could be f- as fast as they needed to be. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it's a good I think it's a good um, point to make that the majority of transfers to hospitals from home births are for non-emergency reasons. So most of the time, it's for a woman who just has decided she's too tired, she's out of energy, she wants an epidural. Mm -hmm. So only a really small, tiny percentage are actually for emergencies. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know that my midwife... um, has had a lot of times when that's happened where she's had an emergency as opposed to somebody who needs to go just because they are choosing to, or they're at the timing is right for them to end up at the hospital. One of my big concerns was actually that I have heard when you get transferred that the staff is not always super receptive to the person coming in. So we did have conversations Mm -hmm. about, um, what my midwife's role would become when we got there. Mm -hmm. And, would we choose, which hospital would we choose to go to based on different circumstances, based on what, how she felt like they would receive us? Um, yeah. um, just this week, there was a, the Alabama is in sort of the same process as Kentucky, where their um, families are working to have home birth midwifery legalized and licensed by the state. And um, a hospital representative testified there that, he just didn't think it was fair that hospitals should have to accept home birth transfers. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, it's just not fair to us. Like, you know, what about the liability? And we shouldn't have to deal with that, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting perspective mm-hmm. when you're providing emergency care to the public. And what I've heard, and my nobody ever said this directly to me, but I have read and have heard that that you're supposed to say that you just didn't come fast enough to the hospital and not admit to the hospital staff that you were having a home birth because of that, because you don't want to be treated differently than you would if you were just coming to the hospital actually kind of late and you Mm -hmm. happened to be further along than you thought you were. Um, Mm. Because you don't want to get, you don't want to put your family at risk by having hospital staff that's upset with something you did and then making decisions based on those factors. Yeah, um, yeah. I've talked to a lot of women who have had that happen, mm-hmm. That's what and I've, I've had heard. some pretty brutal experiences with hospital staff who's really angry at them, right? And resentful, right? And and resentful to their midwife, and then treating their midwife poorly, and and then mm-hmm. you're stressed about how everybody's treating each other, and that again is not what you want when you're well. That and it can of... be it can be a real safety issue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they just they don't believe you or they're mad at you, and they don't they don't want to communicate with you about your care, right. and they're like, well, you know what, we're going to take another hour to evaluate whether or not you need a C section. Right. When you and your midwife know what you really need a C section now. Mm-hmm. And we did talk about what, um, I think a lot of our conversations around being transferred were also, what if something, once the baby is born, what if something happens? And yeah, I mean, they are, tra- they are trained in emergencies. I right. mean, right, like that's sort of the point of having a professional, right? Otherwise, yes. you could just have your neighbor walk over and act as a midwife. Right, and I think <laughs> that that was one of the, for us, like, in theory, I say Chris and I could do it by ourselves. We like to do... If everything that, went perfectly. Right. But then I was like, but what if it's like our last two where there's been some little thing that needs to happen that yeah. we don't know how to do? And that could be catastrophic. When, of course. And so we wanted to have a professional with us for that reason, just to make sure that those, if something were to happen, we had somebody mm-hmm. who knew what they were doing to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Which we did. Which made it feel better for, you know, made it safe for everybody. Yeah. Um... And it also was part of the initial dialogue with the midwife to make sure I was a good candidate mm-hmm. for a home birth. 
right. for this. Um, but those were all conversations we had to make sure that we were making a safe choice um, and that it was going to be the right choice for, for us and our family. Yeah. So how do you feel about your choice now? Well, I think we both feel great about it. I think it was a, exactly what we wanted in terms of the experience. Um, I'm, I'm very proud that we did a home birth for the reasons that Helen was saying earlier that it wasn't some radical choice that we made based on, you know, religious beliefs or, you know, some, like, back-to-the-earth movement. We are, you know, I, you might disagree with this, but I think we're fairly normal-ish people. And so demonstrating that, you know, if someone knows that we did this and they say, oh, well, they're not, they're not, you know, stark raving mad and they're, you know, it was just a choice they made and this is a viable choice. I think that's always the goal is to try and demonstrate that each of these things are choices and the fact that we made this choice and it was a much better experience. I mean, I feel like it was a much better experience than the previous two births, even though the first two births were great. I feel like this one, the connection to our home, the the ability to have the baby and then come lay in the bed in the living room. I mean, we brought a mattress down here where we're sitting right now, and Helen and and Hollis and her sister all laid in the bed next to a fire, and it was just so peaceful that it wasn't bright lights and, you know, sterilizing everything and hospital gowns and all those things that make you feel like it's this otherworldly experience. It was very much, much more integrated into our life. I also just want to say that after the the care that they get you get after from your midwives is really important for making sure that that everybody stays healthy mentally. They came back and did several checks. They came 24 hours later and then they came back at 10 days and then again at 6 weeks. Um, and that's great. It made it so that a we didn't have to put the, our baby in the car which tends to be really stressful for babies and therefore for parents. Um, but it also made sure that she was checking in with our whole family dynamic to make sure that everybody in the family was healthy and yeah. that the, the bond was working between the baby and I, but also that I was getting what I needed as a mom through the different hormonal changes that you go through after giving birth. That's incredible. Um, and I think she did some talking with Chris too, just about making sure that everybody's perception was healthy Um because those those first few weeks are so can be so tough um, on the mom. It's nice to have somebody who is a professional who knows what to look for to come back and make those checks yeah. to make sure you're healthy and that yeah. that nursing is going well and that everybody's mentally doing okay. Yeah, yep. mother's mental health is so overlooked. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you all so much. Yeah. Yes. It was awesome Thanks to talk to you. Pleasure. Yeah. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.